1: Welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm Joe Misato joined by Barry Tremel, here to recap the Thunder's 113 to 107 loss at the Denver Nuggets on Saturday night at Ball Arena. Barry, this this was a crazy one. Like it was, it was. I don't know if we podcasted after after that uh, Thunder win in Denver a few weeks ago. But that was probably the most surprising result of the season, and I don't want to overreact to NBA regular season games because crazy stuff happens, but this one was was hard to to fathom, the Thunder almost winning this game. No Shea Gilgis-Alexander, obviously no Giddy Dort, Kenrich williams Mike Mescala, Robinson Earl, Jerome, the list goes on and on and on. Darius Baisley misses the second half with a knee sprain. The Thunder has eight players, and yet, with under three minutes to play, the Thunder has a two-point lead on the Nuggets. And for a second, I thought, "Oh my gosh, they might actually win this game." Um, and yeah, just a just a wild one when I expected to be uh, covering a blowout this evening.
0: It made no sense at all. Um, it seems, I mean, it seemed clear to me that Denver had a trouble staying engaged emotionally or mentally whichever the case may be I mean Jokic sensational he had 35 points and missed two shots and yet he only got 15 shots
1: yeah, probably should have taken a few more
0: yeah maybe getting 30 <laughs> shots and maybe you don't have to wait for the thunder to to make a couple of miscues in the last 2 minutes to to win the game yeah um but you know guys like Lindy Waters played well. And Aaron Wiggins actually, not that he played well, but he he found a little hot streak after yeah. not doing much. Maladon was good again. Um,
1: Crutchy made some plays. I mean, yeah, you know, Trey Mann,
0: Trey Mann didn't play well or shoot well, but he got a couple of hot streaks. Isaiah Roby actually played pretty well, six of seven shooting. So... um.
1: Thunder shot thirty nine percent from three.
0: Yeah, and and missed one foul shot, fifteen to sixteen from the line. So, yeah, they had twenty nine assists. Nuggets had thirty three. But um, you know, when you look at it, it's just Thunder sort of punching above its weight class with this with this basically third team roster that it's trotting out there.
1: Yeah. Um, the, the thing about Denver, I agree with you that they didn't look engaged, but there's really no excuse because coming into this game, they were one and two against the Thunder this season. Um, and not only that, but um, they hadn't been playing real well lately. Um, they're sitting sixth in the West. They have a slight lead on Minnesota to stay out of the play-in, so... You look at Denver, like, this was a really important game for them to win. Maybe they thought it'd be easy to win, but um, still, I was a little surprised given given the stakes for them.
0: Yeah, and, and I think when I say they weren't engaged, I don't mean from the start necessarily. I mean, it just seemed like, you know, they'd get a comfortable lead at one point. What, they lead 16 in the first half, I think it was. And they just sort of relaxed, put it on cruise control a couple of times during the game mm-hmm. when there was... And there was no reason to. They led by 11 going into the fourth quarter and then just, you know, didn't didn't get many stops or much of anything. Um, and then the Thunder made it nip and tuck down uh, down the whole way. And what it came down to was the Thunder had a couple of, uh, in, the, what, in the last, let's see, 205 it looks like maybe, Thunder had a couple of... Uh, Bad turnovers. Roby lost the ball in the lane. Uh, Poceshevsky operating the pick and roll threw the ball away. Um, that's really what allowed yeah. the Trey man really, drove
1: it into traffic. And,
0: yeah, so that, that's what really allowed the the Nuggets to to sort of take back control. Uh, Money yeah, Morris
1: he had Morris hit that three after yeah. that Poku turnover, trying to find Roby on the lob.
0: Yeah, so I don't know, but um, for whatever reason, this Thunder team, in any incarnation, plays well against this Nugget team. Yeah. So, you know, I, don't, I can't explain it. I can't explain
1: the, it. The Thunder are going to destroy the Blazers if they play like this in, in Portland a couple <laughs> of nights from now.
0: <laughs> yes, they are. They sure are. I don't know uh, what the Thunder can do to try to lose to Portland. Um, yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I don't know. Look at the upside down standing, so uh, the magic actually sort of coughed away coughed away a victory. them and Houston are now tied at twenty and fifty five Detroit is twenty and fifty four the thunder is twenty one and fifty three so a game back of Detroit um, for that uh, third from the bottom Thunder hosts Detroit later in one of these final eight games, seven games, whatever we're down to now um But, Bear, just to look back at this one, it wasn't one of those nights where, you know, sometimes when the Thunder is so shorthanded, especially when Shea's out, you'll have, like, a crazy performance, like Trey Mann will score 30, or Poku will go nuts, or, you know, Maladone and they all scored. Maladone had 20, Mann had 15, Poku had 17, but it was more balanced. Like, Waters had 14 off the bench, um... It was a really nice game for him. I thought he shot the ball in rhythm in the first quarter. He had that big run-out dunk late and was 4 of 10 from three and and had 14 points and kind of got back on track as far as shooting the ball.
0: Yes, and his misses were close, uh, my thought, so that's a good sign. Um, He was – you know, he had a great steal. Who was it? Was it Barton or was it somebody in the open court? It might have you know, been Bones Island. Highland. Bones yeah. Highland. I mean, he he made a steal on the on the run. Um, he just sort of took the ball away from him on the drive, which was, you know, you don't see many steals like that. So that was impressive. Um, the you know one thing about the Nuggets, the Nugget bench was terrible tonight. Um, let's see, they they totaled uh, twenty five points. Is that right? Eleven sixteen twenty five points total. Um,
1: my, my analysis is Demarcus Cousins isn't very good anymore.
0: Yeah, he's not. He he's not. Doesn't seem to be helping him much.
1: No. Austin
0: Rivers. Austin Rivers didn't play well at all either. He usually plays pretty well against the Thunder. Didn't tonight. Well, Bones Highland
1: only took three shots. Um, yeah, and J- you know, he's so Green,
0: And Jermichael Green, Bryn Forbes were non-factors. Um, just. Not much of a not much of a bench there for the uh, and, and this Devon Reed, who I have no idea who that is. Um, you know, he plays how many minutes? He played six minutes and is minus eleven in that time. So um, Nuggets are missing Murray and and uh, Michael Porter Jr. There's not any question about that.
1: Yeah, they've they've just got no hope to you know, win the West without those guys. But if those guys were healthy all season, they'd be right there, I think, um, with, as, with as good as Jokic has been. Do you have Jokic or Embiid as is, is number one right now in the MVP race?
0: I think I'd go with Jokic.
1: Um, I should say Giannis as well. He's right in that Yeah, mix. Giannis
0: too, but I think I'd go with Jokic. When you take Jokic off this team, I mean, the on-off numbers for Jokic – um, are just crazy. Yeah, it is. Wild. The Nuggets, and tonight we saw it. He's plus nineteen for crying out loud. Um, so, you know when when he's off when he's off the floor, he he was off the floor for th- basically thirteen minutes tonight, and the Thunder outscored the uh, outscored the Nuggets by thirteen points. So, um, yeah. So, when
1: Aaron Gordon and Jokic were on the floor, they were good, and when they th- when they weren't, they weren't very good. <laughs> right. Um,
0: uh, and you know who not didn't do much tonight. Was Jeff Green, um, Uncle Jeff. Uncle Jeff. had not you know he only played twenty minutes, had eight points. Um, but and, and and Monty Morris had he had the big shot we talked about, but he also he didn't seem like he impacted the game otherwise very much, no. which was similar. Similar to what he did when the Thunder beat him you know, a few weeks ago, I thought. Yeah, yeah, kind of uninspiring.
1: Uh, I will say, the, this uh, Nuggets crowd was one of the best I've seen all season. Like, uh, it, it looked was, good. Yeah, it, it was, looked good. It was packed from, from court to rafters, I mean, and they, they were loud. My only complaint here, and I know I'm going to sound like an old man, but it is the loudest music is it really in-game stuff, and just your ears are ringing by the end of it?
0: Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that a bit. <laughs> um, I guess I've gotten a little used to it because over the last, in in the last ten years, twelve years that I've been dealing with the Thunder, including very few regular season road games, but you know, virtually all the playoff road games, I don't even notice it. Really, don't even notice the thunder music the opposing team's mm-hmm. music i guess i just tuned it out and uh, oh, I hadn't I been to as many it. haven't been to near as many games here during the pandemic so maybe you know maybe uh i've just uh sort of uh, lost my senses on that maybe it's maybe when I go back to the arena on a regular basis I'll say what's with the loud music uh.
1: (laughs) yeah I was was sitting by Steve McGee and we're pretty close next to each other and you have to like yell to be able to talk to each other in the game Um, but yeah okay Um, Barry let's get to the news of the day because it was a newsy day here at Ball Arena Um, Mark Dagnalt pregame Starts off with some significant injury updates. First off, he leads with Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, and I'm going to pull up the quote here. Shea was out tonight. This was only the third game he's missed in, in the second half since coming back from that ankle injury. The first two, of course, um, were strategically planned tank games against the Magic. This one didn't really fit that bill um, on SGA. Mark Dignall says the game-to-game thing is not sustainable in terms of just in and out on a nightly basis. We're obviously running out of games here. He also said that in the next few days, um, the Thunder and Shea Gilgis-Alexander would be having a conversation about his status for the rest of the season. Um, They did not rule him out for the rest of the season. But reading between the lines, do you think we'll see Shea play uh, in these final few games?
0: No, um, the only reason to play Shea would be if we get to the last two or three games, and the Thunder has solidified that fourth spot one way or the other. Um, and if you get to the last two or three games, and he hadn't played in two weeks, why would you play? Him? Yeah. So I think we've seen. I think we've seen the last of Shea Gilgis Alexander, unfortunately, because he's fabulous to watch and he's been playing great. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I just I just think probably not. I think uh, just probably not.
1: I, I would also guess not. I, I just don't see a reason for it at this point, especially when you hear like, "Hey, we're going to have a conversation." That I I don't think they're going to come back from that conversation and say, "Hey, we talked, and he's going to play in every game uh, for the rest of the season." That doesn't make much sense. But I was looking at his, just his game totals vary. So his first year with the Thunder, he plays 70 games. That's his high with the Thunder. That was the pandemic season, so he got back some in the bubble, but still shortened from an 82-game season um, because of everything that happened. Last season, he plays in 35 games. He misses the whole second half with the torn plantar fascia and never comes back. This season, he misses about a month with a right ankle sprain. Um, His season is over 56 in 56 games so in three seasons with the thunder he's played 161 games which is fewer than the equivalent of two full seasons so you know shea has been here for three years now but we've seen him play for less than what would be two seasons which you know obviously the the numbers he could put up in that time but there's just um you know it all adds up like Shea's Shay's missed a lot of time since he's you know been in oklahoma city
0: yeah, and I'm not ready to say he's injury-prone because what we don't know is, you know, if the Thunder's really playing all out, how many of these games would he miss?
1: Yeah, it's and, a great point.
0: And I'm not sure, well, I'm pretty sure the answer is not very many. Um, you know, uh, he clearly, I think, could have come back at the end of last season <coughs> um, if they needed him to. I think they could have. He clearly could play out this season if they needed him to. Um, so, uh, it, with signed to this contract, he's got the he, he got the max, the, he got the ex- big extension. When you have a guy's future, you need to look out for him, mm-hmm. and. You know, if he's if he's a guy that you're not sure you if he's your future or not, if you don't have him under contract, well, there's no reason to protect his future all that much because you might be saving him for the, you know, for the Clippers or the Knicks or whoever. But saving him for uh, your own future and saving him for potential lottery luck is pretty wise business. So yeah, uh, I so I, I, I don't have a problem with with the way this is uh, working in terms of in terms of uh the thunder's the thunder's no. uh use of it.
1: No, I, I don't either and you know you brought up like not calling him injury prone and I agree with that just because it's impossible to say. Again, we don't know you know how many games he would have played last year if those games mattered. We don't know how many games he'd played this year if these games mattered. So but we also don't know, you know, like maybe maybe some of it was serious enough to keep him out long term. And he's just, you know, he's been dealing with a lot of things. Um, I, I guess the one thing that would make you hopeful as far as injury concerns is like it's not been one thing. It's not like he's dealt with a chronic injury. Um, it's been sort of like the ankle sprain was just a fluke deal. You step on someone's foot, roll an ankle, and that's that. So um, it just just made me think of like you know Shea is fun to watch. He's fun to cover, and we've we've missed a lot of Shea over the last three years. And tonight kind of put that in perspective.
0: Yeah, um, and and it, it is sort of to me any time a season ends, whether it's in the playoffs, regular season, even a bad season like this, there's something a little bit of a bummer when the season's over. Because the way I look at it, you know, I look forward to the Thunder playing every couple, three days. Um, and to me, it's a little bit of a bummer here, whatever date this is, March 28, 27, 29, wherever we're at, we're at the end of March.
1: 26, Se- you're close, Barry.
0: I'm close. So the season's going to be over in, what, a week and a uh, Two weeks. What? Is it two weeks from tonight or something? or Something like that. Anyway, anyway the season's going to be over in two weeks. But the season's over now for watching Shea just Alexander, who's the best reason to watch the Thunder.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's a little bit of a end of the road for, for Thunder fans and for the Thunder media who really enjoy watching this guy play.
1: It's also the end of the road this season for Josh Giddy, which things were certainly trending that way. I don't think that was, you know, ne- neither Shea's injury update nor Josh's was, was a big surprise, but... Um, Giddy, they kept pushing back the timeline. It's just hip soreness. We didn't learn much about the injury, um, but today Mark Dignalt says that there's just not enough games left in the season for Josh to to really get back, and not worth rushing him back. Which that makes sense as well. Um, but it's been a while since we've since we've seen Giddy when he was when he was playing. He was fantastic by rookie standards. Four time Western Conference Rookie of the Month i um, going to pull up his, his final line here to, to read it off because it's, it's very well-rounded, as we all know. Um, Josh Giddey, 12.5 points, 7.8 rebounds, 6.4 assists per game. Played 54 games, averaged 32 minutes per game. Um, shot 42% from the field, 26% from three. Um, Barry just, just sort of, I, I guess, put a bow on Josh Giddy's rookie season because now it's over.
0: Yeah, well, he was far greater than we anyone could have hoped. Um, he was as advertised in the sparkling um, rookie perspectives. You know, you look back at Darius Baisley, what kind of player they said he was going to be. He wasn't that kind of player at all, hasn't turned out to be. He's been productive and good in other ways, but we got exactly what... What yeah. the what the draft Nick sort of sort of uh, proclaimed about this guy—he
1: was the best passer in the draft—and that's right. what people said. So, and
0: that's that's exactly right. And not a great shooter, but um, and just a swell fellow. Although I mean, he's from Australia, so you know, <laughs> it sort of was a uh, sort of a redundant. But um, so yeah, it's it, it's a, it, it's a great it's a great draft pick. Big disappointment when the Thunder fell to sixth last spring in the lottery. A um, little bit of trepidation when that sixth pick became Josh Giddy and you think, "Yeah, that's not what. That, that that's not going to expedite the Thunder rebuild." But turns out the guy's really good, and you know, you'd rather have Cade Cunningham, you'd rather have Evan Mobley, but he's pretty dang good, so. Yeah, uh, you know he. I'd, I'd, he, put,
1: he, I'd rather have Scotty Barnes, but that one's closer. Um, but yeah, he's it's a it's a really good rookie class. It really yeah. is, and
0: and so so it was it it was a good draft pick, and it gives you hope that even again if you don't have lottery luck this season, it doesn't mean despair. Yeah, because if you know what you're doing, and the Thunder usually does, you're going to get another really good player.
1: Yeah, the, of, the the, young, of
0: the young variety.
1: The disappointing part about Giddy's injury is just um, you know when you when you look at rookie of the year voting um, and you know where, where he's going to finish on the all rookie teams. Maybe he's not going to slide all that much, but you know he was he was you know putting together quite a campaign. Like I don't think he was ever going to, to win it. But he could have finished in the top three. I, I doubt he'll finish in the top three now. I, I think one and two. I think one is going to be Evan Mobley. I think two is going to be Scotty Barnes. Um, maybe Cade is, is third. Um, but but I bet Giddy will finish in the top five still. But you, you look at his games. He played 54 games, a lot of guys across the league. Uh, we forget with all the COVID um, earlier this season. Like, guys guys missed a lot of games. So it's not going to hurt him too too much, but it certainly, like, ends his chances of obviously sweeping Western Conference Rookie of the Month awards and, and actually contending for Rookie of the Year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's not um, – you know, I assume he'll be first-team all-rookie. I assume um, the people around the league, I think, are clued into to him. But even that's not assured – Thanks to this, to this uh, season-ending situation, and you, you mentioned it, but you know, to sweep every month of the Western Conference All-Rookie uh, Award, there was every reason to believe he was going to win in March too. Yeah. He won't now, of course. I don't even know who will. Um, doesn't matter. But that would have been a cool thing. To say he won all five of the Rookie of the Month awards. Yeah.
1: Um. All right. Well, that's uh. I, I wanted to. We we were bringing up. Sorry, uh, my my mind went blank for a second. But, um, I we're gonna get ballots soon for you know all NBA teams and everything like that. And I don't know if you followed it today, Barry. But there's this huge controversy of how Jokic and Embiid are going to be listed. Um, because everyone thinks they're going to be one, two, and MVP voting. But if you if you want to vote traditionally, they're both centers. They both exclusively play their uh, minutes at the five. Although Jokic is basically everything. Um, but so one of those guys could could potentially win the MVP and wind up on a lot of second team All NBA ballots. Um, they could be voted. They're going to be listed at both forward and center, so you could sort of play around with it and put one at forward and one at center. But that's going to skew some of the votes. And I know this; it, it's not a huge deal, but did you follow any of that today or have any I've, thoughts on it?
0: I have not followed it today at all, but I have followed it over the years. Some of this pertains to All-Star uh, voting because they do yeah. the same silly nonsense when it comes to All-Star voting um, and the All-NBA. I mean, it's just nonsense it's ridiculous. Um, the truth of the matter is, um, you know, a center fielder in baseball for the, uh, for the Angels and a center fielder for the Mets in baseball is basically the same position. A center for the Buffalo Bills and a center for the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> is basically the same position. A center for the Philadelphia 76ers and a center for uh, the Phoenix Suns might not do anything at all alike.
1: Or like the Nuggets, Nuggets the and Sixers.
0: <laughs> so the concept of positions in the NBA voting is just asinine. Yeah. And so you
1: think it should be five best players five, just take position put, out
0: of it? Put the 12 best players on – or pick the five best starters um, for the All-Star game. Pick the five best players for the All-NBA team. Uh, let me tell you what somebody would do if they had Joel Embiid and – Jokic on the same team, they would find a way to play them together.
1: Yeah, exactly. They would someone not someone brought that you, up.
0: Someone would. Say, no one would say, you have to sit down until the other guy gets tired.
1: Yeah. That would not
0: be happening. You'd be the one to tell Joel and Embiid he's got to come <laughs> off the bench. <laughs> so it's just nonsense. I mean, especially since we've had, what, five, maybe going on ten years, of recognition of positionless basketball I mean that's become a concept yeah. and a, even a named concept in the NBA so the, the people at the league office yeah t- I mean, look look ah.
1: at LeBron like what he plays everything what, what position what, do yeah, what
0: position does LeBron James play what position does LeBron James play mostly you know what uh here's what he plays he plays quarterback on offense, and he plays middle linebacker on defense. That's what LeBron does. So yeah. let's put him in the pro bowl, why don't we? So it's just, I, I, I'd i really like to ask somebody. somebody. Whoever's doing this, let me talk to the person who's doing this. Who signed off on
1: this? It's someone in the league office that's making these decisions.
0: Somebody needs to stay up and, and say, this is why we're doing it. There's no good reason for it. None. There is zero reason for it. Wow. And I'm the reason, so glad
1: I brought this up.
0: And and listen, here's the other thing. You know why we don't know who's doing this or why no one can explain it? Because it's not explainable. Yeah. It's inexplicable. It's just it's nonsense. I guess it I guess they're trying to connect with some silly notion of tradition from 60 years ago when you could look at the Philadelphia 76ers with Luke Jackson and Hal Greer and Billy Cunningham and say, "Oh, he's a center, he's a guard, he's a forward." Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get the order, right? But everybody knows what I mean. So, I mean, it, it, it's just it was 60 years ago. I mean, what what what, what position did Scottie Pippen play? I mean, it, it's this is not necessarily a, even a new concept. So, um, this sounds like a
1: this sounds like a scissor tails entry. Well, upcoming. it ought, it, 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 ought to be, it
0: it probably ought to be. It's just nonsense. I don't. Hey, and guess what? Here's the good
1: news, Barry. You've you've already written it. You, all you need to do is go transcribe our podcast um, from you talking about this. Well, maybe I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll put it on my <laughs> I'll put
0: it on my list. I'll put it on my list.
1: Uh, I just wanted to add uh, one thing off topic because I, I asked Mark Dagnall about this. Um, Tonight, obviously, St. Peter's plays tomorrow, still in the tournament. What a cool story. And um, a lot of people have sort of compared it, uh, just as far as the unlikeliness of it, to George Mason's run. Now, George Mason made the Final Four. They were an 11 seed. They knocked off UConn um, during that tournament run. A manager for UConn was Mark Dagnalt. Um, I asked Mark about it tonight and asked if he was on the bench for that game when George Mason beat UConn in overtime. He said he wasn't because the NCAA regulates during the tournament how many guys can be on the bench. So I'm not really sure where he was, but he was a manager, I think, in his sophomore year uh on that team so i I was just looking for some sort of connection there's there's not much there but i just wanted to bring that up because i thought it was cool and to bring it back to george mason jim laranaga the coach of that team is still coaching in the tournament as well leading leading miami um right now so um you know not a not a strong connection but but a little bit of one how how do you sort of compare like george mason and, and saint peter's
0: oh um
1: do you think St. Peter's is like more impressive?
0: Even St. Peter's is more impressive for the seed number, and the seed is really. I prom. Let me promise you, the committee doesn't have time to sit there and debate between St. Peter's at fifteen and um, I don't know South Dakota State at thirteen. They don't have time. They didn't spend any time doing that. They just looked at a few metrics put St. Peter's below South Dakota State and went down the road. To me, the great differences, and um, this is true for all mid-majors, but within the mid-majors you can do it, is look at things that aren't on the net rankings, like budget, gym size. um, look uh, Look at the people in the huddle like last night, somebody tweeted about this. Look at the – like when they, when they come out on the – when the coaches come out and have their, their little meeting before they talk to the players during a timeout, look how many people are in the Purdue brain trust. <laughs> and look how yeah. many people are in the St. Peter's brain trust. Let me tell you, you pioneered this. It's been going on forever. But in the last five, six years, I promise you, Texas Tech has 17 guys wearing suits on the, ba- on the sideline of a basketball game. Mm-hmm. It's the darndest thing. I've seen it live in Stillwater and Norman. I just keep thinking, who are all these people? You know, and St. Peter's is sitting there. You know, they're paying their basketball coach more than the basketball coach at, say, Tulsa Union gets. But it's a lot more comparable to Tulsa Union than it is to even, even a Wichita State or yeah. – or a Virginia Commonwealth, or some other mid-major of note in recent years. St. Peter's is a tiny little place. I, have, you know, I actually happened to do radio with Al Eshbeck. Al grew up in Jersey City, um, home of St. Peter's. And as a kid, he said he went to St. Peter's games a lot because it's just down the road from his house and he liked college basketball. And so he's told me a lot about St. Peter's. I looked up, just looked it up. I mean, this is, St. Peter's is just an urban school yeah. with, with no aesthetics, no much of anything other than it's just a Jesuit school, you know, with a Catholic mission. And they play basketball and, every, you know, a couple times yeah. they've done well in their league and now they're doing great. And yeah. it's not, it's just I think an it's like a mainly story. a commuter
1: school as yeah, well. Yeah, it's just,
0: it's, it's, just it's just an unbelievable story but it's the beauty of basketball, especially college basketball, where the parity is sublime. Yeah. And we don't we don't even know what that would look like in football. We can't even fathom it in football. Um, I mean Oklahoma can't beat Alabama, but St. Peter's can beat Kentucky on the basketball yeah. court. It's where, it's incredible. You know, everybody talks about, you know, Kentucky had four assistant coaches making more than the head coach of St. Peter's. Kentucky has four basketball players <laughs> making more than, you know, and that would have yeah. been tr- that that would have been true before the NIL, the NIL. <laughs> might, uh. might be more than 4, might be 14. <laughs> so, uh. you know, it's just it's just an incredible story. I'll be pulling for the Saint Pete's. Um I assume the clock's going to strike midnight on them. I mean, they can't keep pulling this off. But you know what? They've come this far. Yeah. And literally anybody, anybody could win the in, in the NCAA title, and that includes Saint Peter's, the way they're playing. So, it's it's the greatest postseason in American sport, the NCAA tournament. Yeah. We've experienced it together. Me and you were at the gym in Columbia, South Carolina, when we saw UCF have Duke on the line. Yeah, and Zion almost toppled over, and you know it didn't work out. But um,
1: Zion and Taco fall.
0: That's right. That's right. So it's just—it's the best postseason. Now, the regular season has a thousand things wrong with it, but this—but this tournament, this tournament number one, the NFL playoffs number two, they're the best postseason in American sport.
1: Yeah, it's it's incredible, and I've, uh, you know, I'm, I I love the tournament, and it's fun to like, you know, talk talk to Mark about it, talk to just some players and. We were in here pregame in the media room, and, and Jeremiah Robinson, Arlo, he walks behind us, and I think he's talking to Trey Mann, but he's just talking about like the Villanova culture and everything like that, and just so proud of Villanova for still being in it. Um, and it, it's just cool to see like guys at this level engaged and paying attention to it as well.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, if it stretched over six weeks, like the NBA, or eight weeks, like the NBA playoffs. A Little bit harder to stay engaged, but it's <laughs> you know, it's a, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Skip three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, skip five days and six days, and Saturday, Monday, we got us a winner. So yep, yep. it's little it's literally seventeen, eighteen days.
1: All right. Well, we will wrap it up with the NCAA Tournament Talk and the Thunder Buddies podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Um as always, and and we'll be back with you Monday night it is a big one a very very big one the thunder is in portland to tank on take up oh oh my gosh i said tank tank on on. i said tank
0: on (laughs) quite accurately i would i would say what's your tank what's your tank on the situation (laughs) St.
1: Joe? my my tank on my tank aways uh (laughs) everything is going to be quite tanky um thank you again for listening and we'll talk to you then
0: we're tanking off